Concealed by blanketing mists and towering mountains, it's one of the last unexplored places on Earth. But within its mysterious beauty lies great danger, and maybe something sinister. Today, we're sharing stories about the Valley of Headless Men. Welcome to Shadowland, everybody. Welcome. This is a podcast that shines a spotlight on stories of the supernatural, mysterious, eerie, and unexplained. Stuff like real-life Frankensteins. Real-life gremlins. Real-life zombies. <laughs> Hollow Earth. Real-life vampires. Interdimensional beings. Contemporary dinosaurs. Teenage poltergeists. Sex with ghosts. Self-transforming machine elves. <laughs> Serious relationships with ghosts. Ancient races of giants. Synchronicities. Mars anomalies. All that stuff. All that stuff and more. Lots more. I'm Christina Callery. And I'm Seth Jablom. And today, we're sharing stories about... The Valley the, of Headless Men? Is that what Yes, the Valley <laughs> of Headless it. Men. Never heard of this. Yeah, yeah. This was actually uh, suggested by a listener, and I had come across it before, but I'm fascinated by the topic, so I got to dig into it, and um, I'm pretty excited to share. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't know anything about it, but... Well, you're in for a treat. Should we just jump right in? Yeah, let's get into it. So I'll just give you like an overview of the area. Um, it's situated in the Northwest Territories of Canada. It's called the Nahani Valley. It is a breathtakingly gorgeous, very pristine uh, and rugged wilderness region. And it is truly one of the last untouched places on earth because it is so remote and so difficult to reach. So to give you an idea of just how remote this place is, it's over 300 miles from the nearest town, which is called Yellowknife. There are no roads leading into it, not even like you know gravel roads or anything like that. Basically the only way to get there is by boat, like canoe or plane, or, you know, you could take a very long and treacherous trek through the wilderness, but you probably don't want to do that. Um, it's largely unexplored even today, and it's home to grizzly bears and timber wolves and very these very fierce predators, and humans are few and far between. So the people who do go there are true adventurers. And it's also full of astounding uh, natural wonders like geysers and sinkholes and a waterfall that is almost twice the size of Niagara Falls. Wow. If you could imagine that. It's just enormous. Um, and apparently this waterfall causes mists that are so dense that they allow a rare type of orchid to grow there, at least according to some sources. And um, in one of the steep canyons, which is called Dead Man's Valley, the wind is said to ceaselessly howl in the sound. It's like a very like eerie, ghostly sounding wail that goes on all the time. Wow. 
So the valley itself in Nahani Valley gets its name from a legendary tribe that mysteriously vanished here. And the stories of this tribe have been passed down through generations by the Dene indigenous people who also lived here for centuries. And according to their oral histories, there was once this very fearsome warlike tribe um, who lived in the mountains that surrounded the valley and they were called the Naha and they would descend from the mountains to raid, plunder and kill. And they were said to wear masks and armor adorned with all of these, this frightening imagery and they would behead their victims and they were even said to practice cannibalism. So super scary. And in some reports, they're, they're described as being larger than normal humans and wielding strange weapons that no one had ever seen before. Uh-oh. So they were, yeah, they, they were much feared, but they disappeared without a trace. And there's no evidence of their existence now ap- ap- apart from these oral traditions. So Nahani actually means river of the land of the Naha people or the people over there. Um, that's the the literal translate translation. However, um, there are some who speculate that the Naha's murderous legacy lives on due to some mysterious and gruesome deaths, which we'll get into, that have occurred in the region over the years. And most of these have taken place in the part of the the valley known as the two hundred mile gorge. And so, as a result, this area has been dubbed, the Valley of Headless Men. So apparently um, many of the indigenous people in the area believe that the gorge itself has an evil supernatural presence clinging to it, kind of like one of the clouds that enshroud the mountains there. And so they tended not to venture too far into it and, and not settle in that area. And this is for years before the first white explorers arrived and indeed some tribes were too afraid to even settle there so um, i'll just read a a couple quotes one is from british writer and explorer raymond patterson um in in 1927 uh, he set out to the nahani region and he received an ominous piece of advice according to neil hartling in his book nahani river of gold river of dreams Quote, men vanish in that country, and down the river they say it's a damned good country to keep clear of. Spooky. Okay. So let's get into some of the stories behind the legend. Um, so according to the site Mysteries of Canada, there are a number of stories that were passed down by the Native peoples, um, and often they originated with hunt- hunting expeditions. So... Quote, spurred by bravery, foolishness, or desperation, the warriors wandered into the valley in search of game. The few who returned regaled their fellows with all manner of hair-raising tales. At night, while their compatriots crouched around the campfire, these survivors told of encounters with an evil spirit who haunted the valley, whose unearthly shrieks echoed throughout the canyons on windy nights. Others described a race of fearsome, hairy giants who dwelled in caves carved from the canyon walls, led by, a, <laughs> led by a beautiful, pale-skinned chiefess. These primitive mountain men killed and ate anyone who trespassed on their territory. 
Um, and there are numerous accounts describing uh, the indigenous belief in these creatures. So um, Philip H. Godsell in the, the Curse of Dead Man's Valley that came out in 1950 described, quote, a race of prehistoric troglodytes or nakanis, as they call them, with repulsive gargoyle-like faces who lived in caves cut from the living rock. These creatures reported to be twice the size of ordinary humans and never missed a chance to carry off unwary hunters or stray squaws in their powerful gorilla-like arms. So they're almost kind of like vicious Sasquatch-type creatures, hairy giants, um, that kind of thing. And then ethnographer Cornelius B. Osgood said that belief in the Nakani was so strong that, quote, when they suspected that a Nakani was lurking nearby, entire Diné bands would often abandon their camps and seek shelter on a nearby lake island. So it's very clear that these people knew something was out there, not just were creeped out or something like right, that. Right. You know, like, the, yeah. They felt there was a very real and present threat. So, remember how we said that the uh, Naha tribe had mysteriously vanished without a trace? Yes. Okay. So, according to Diné legend, it was quite a striking disappearance. So, after the Diné had repeatedly been terrorized by the Naha for many years, um, finally, they assembled a party of warriors who set out to go into the Nahani territory very bravely uh, with the intent of attacking one of their camps. So after traveling for some time, the warriors finally stumbled onto an encampment and they readied, readied themselves for the attack. So they brandished their weapons, they rushed into the settlement, but no one was there. It was completely abandoned. So there were neither any Naha warriors nor family members. Nobody was in sight. Only their teepees were left standing, so it was as if they had vanished by supernatural means. There was no trail, and these are people who, you know, make their living off of the land and know how to hunt, know how to find a trail, you know, uh, you know, animal or human, and and there was there were no tracks, there was nothing. So, given the legends of evil presences in the land, you know, at this point the Dene warriors retreated retreated back to the lowlands, and they were definitely like okay, we're, we're never going back there again, but they never encountered the Naha people again. There were no more attacks. They just simply vanished. And today their legend only lives on in story. So they were, they were uh, possibly living there and then they, and then they vanished. They were, they were living there. They, they would, were they, living there. That's right. Oh, they would right, come right, down, right. they would attack the Diné people. They would, they were extremely vicious and horrible, possibly even cannibalistic. And this went on for years. And then finally, one day they just up and vanished. Wow. And they okay. wiped from history, essentially, except for oral yeah, history. That is, that is crazy. Yeah. Like that there wouldn't be, and that, and that they were all sort of wiped out, right? Like, and in, in, in just sort of never heard from again, right? It wasn't like they like dwindled yeah. off or, or there was some uh, battle or something like that that like left some sort of evidence. Right. They left, they left nothing behind. Wow. Is, interesting. Just, you know, really, really spooky in itself. Um, so I'll just get into some prospector legends. Um, okay. 
So in the summer of 1897, gold fever struck northern Canada and word spread of a gigantic gold strike in the Klondike, which, you know, you probably heard about. Um, And so prospectors from all over the world flocked to the region, to the Yukon, and they took various routes to arrive there. There were different ways you could go. And one of these routes was a shortcut. However, you had to go through the South Nahani River area, but it was it came with a price because the path was notoriously treacherous. And many prospectors in trying failed and they went missing and were killed when they attempted to traverse it. So eventually prospectors who failed to find gold in the Yukon did start searching other areas and the Nahani Valley was one of them but it was a very dangerous place to search. So stories started to make their way through saloons about the region and they became almost, well, actually literally fantastical. Um, Some of them described this mysterious mist shrouded valley that was kind of like a Northern garden of Eden with in some, you know, one area in particular being almost tropical and climate. And keep in mind, this is Northern Canada. The winters are brutal. People die of exposure very quickly, especially back then. And it's it, it's just, you know, ruthless winter. It's not tropical at all. Um, but a, according to some stories, there was this region that people stumbled upon. And it was not only hiding stores of gold, but prehistoric creatures like mammoths and mastodons. Yes. And we'll get into yes. that a little more later. So it's like this this lost, it's like land of the lost. Right, right, right. Okay. So this is the most famous story um, behind the legend of the Valley of Headless Men. So sometime between 1904 to 1906, depending on the source, during the era of the Klondike Gold Rush, two brothers named Willie and Frank McLeod, both were prospectors, decided to set out into the Canadian wilderness in search of gold. Now, the McLeod brothers uh, wanted to travel in this less traveled region of the Nahani Valley rather than the Yukon. They were both very experienced outdoorsmen. So they packed up their mining gear, supplies for the months ahead, you know, food, tea, whatever they would need you know, first aid supplies, all of that. And they canoed up the South Nahani River, beginning a a long and arduous journey that would span hundreds of miles and into the Nahani Valley. But they were never seen or heard from again. So at first, uh, members of the McLeod family could just assume that they were hard at work on their mission. It wouldn't be unusual to maybe not hear from them for a year back at that time. Um, and they were, you know, because after all, they were both experienced, skilled outdoorsmen and they're, you know, just deeply into their work and searching for gold. So you can see why the family didn't worry necessarily early on. But then after a couple of years passed without a single letter, it became clear that something had indeed gone terribly wrong. So at this point, their older brother, Charlie, decided to embark on a search for them, and he gathered together a search party of five prospectors, including himself and another McLeod brother. They were a large family. And together they headed upriver toward the Nahani Valley. And while they were canoeing, 
they were scanning the tree-lined riverbanks for any sign of the lost brothers. And you can just imagine what this would have been like, you know, you're looking for what? A clearing in the trees, Mm -hmm. you know, a sign of, you know, any clothing or, you know, campfire, yeah. yeah, anything like that. But it would just be, you know, basically you know, what are, what do you have to search for in, in 1908 or seven, whatever it was. And after several days of paddling though, on July 24th, 1908, one of the men spotted signs of an encampment along the shore. So Charlie and his team paddled over to investigate and they came upon a horrifying sight. There sprawled out on a flat area of the riverbank surrounded by spruce brush where they'd made camp, were the bodies of Willie and Frank McLeod. But even more disturbing, their heads were missing. So this isn't something that you would expect to find. And upon investigation, it was clear that the men had been killed while they were sleeping. And the skeleton of one brother was lying in repose. You know, he apparently never woke up. The other man, however, was reaching toward a rifle that was still there as if he'd been startled awake and was just about to grab his weapon before being struck down. And then the blankets were lying on his brother as though he'd hastily jumped up and thrown them off. Charlie was able to identify some hair near the site as being similar to his brother Willie's. And apparently Willie and Frank had been traveling with a third man who was a Scottish engineer named Weir, and he was nowhere to be found. Um, There was only one clue left behind, and it was a sentence carved into a piece of wood from a broken dog sled, and it said, we've found a fine prospect. So obviously indicating that they had found gold, but there was no indication of where. Did it say at all, like, like, like was it, were their heads like chopped off or like ripped off? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty crazy. A lot of the reports they just say severed, but severed, I mean the heads yeah. are gone, and right, the right, skulls right. weren't found anywhere. So if they'd been shot off, you'd think there would be shards. Um, but like it sounds you know. like I guess what I'm getting at is like it sounds like man made or 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 some sort of intelligent creature made right like yeah i believe murder murder was definitely they were murder suspected. it wasn't not, like, not a, like a bear a, ripped their head off <laughs> i mean it right. seems like it happened pretty fast too right, right like but if you're if a just bear had up, done that know. wouldn't there be more damage and well, that's and what the, I'm asking. Yeah, skeletons yeah, that's strewn totally. around right um but yeah it's very mysterious circumstances yeah. this isn't something that you typically find um from a bear bear attack or you know even a murder so yeah Um, In some reports, a stash of gold-rich ore was found at the site, along with a gold watch carved with the initials J.H., and that was dangling from a nearby tree. But if this is a robbery, it kind of doesn't line up. Why wouldn't a thief have taken that? Um, Also found at the site were two 40-40 rifle shells, an axe, a Hudson's Bay blanket, and a fancy Indian rug. And all the men's clothing had been burned. Very strange. Mm. Um, so another McLeod brother who lived in Ashmont, Alberta, believed that Weir had murdered his brothers and made off with their cash of gold. But the discovery of the gold watch and you know possibly this gold-laden ore would seem to refute this assumption. So uh, the reports 
very in some cases it says where was never found and then i found some reports that said that he was tracked to vancouver and supposedly had eight thousand dollars worth of gold nuggets on him but you know who knows whether he was found at all but the lost mcleod mine has you know lived in people's imaginations ever since and people have been trying to find it like where was this gold that they found and it's been a mystery ever since and has spurred a lot of searches for it. Wow. So can we talk about their heads a little more? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about their heads a little more. <laughs> well, first I got of more. All, There's more where that no, came I from. You, okay. I believe you. I, no, okay. I just, yeah. Um, so, w- w- like, was this the first time, like, was this already called the Valley of Headless no. Men before no. this? Or this, this is what started is, this it? This is what started it. And in fact, okay. it kind of gave rise to a lot of, like, I'll go through them later, but just, like, okay. very gruesome sounding names in the, in the entire area. Right. Okay. And then, I mean, the other thing is like, just back to like, what, like, what are the possibilities here? Right? Like, obviously, yeah, that, I mean, that does sound like a, you know, a possibility that one of the one of the people, you know, got greedy or whatever, and wanted to make off with the fine themselves. But the I think some people even speculated took off with the heads. Why would you do that? Well, that's what I was gonna say. It's like, why wouldn't you just like, who was that for? Right? Like, you know, that's like some like serial killer shit. <laughs> like if that was right. like a person that did that, like that's not like a, oh, I'm going to murder these folks. I mean, like that's work, right? Like it's like work to do that, not just like, oh, I'm going to kill them and like get the gold. Like, and it doesn't sound like a setup. They're in the middle of nowhere. Like who was that? You know what I mean? If they were like trying to like throw somebody's off the scent or something, you know, it just seems very bizarre, you know, the fact that their heads would be not, not only severed but missing Missing, right they're they're not there right like they no no trace of them there creepy right yeah it's it's very bizarre and uh yeah you know you you brought up like a bear attack or something like that i mean they're not just gonna chomp off a head yeah you'd think if if anybody out there any uh, outdoors people (laughs) correct feel free to correct us if we're wrong here (laughs) but Okay, I don't know, cool. but we'll get into some other speculation later okay, on too. Okay. So I'll just keep yeah, going. I'm ready so to not... speculate. So okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay, so and then in 1917, the valley claimed another victim. A Swiss prospector named Martin Jorgensen caught gold fever and set out for the Nahani Valley, and he settled in a cabin in the area and he began a small mining operation. He was known to the local settlers. So at first he seemed to be successful in his endeavors and was actually striking it rich. Apparently he stayed in communication with loved ones and reportedly sent them letters on a regular basis. And he did tell them in the letters that he struck gold. But then one day the letters abruptly stopped And after enough time had passed, people started getting concerned, and so searchers were sent to check on his cabin. And when they arrived, they saw that the cabin had been burned to the ground, and the cause of the fire was mysterious. Nobody could point to what had happened, whether it was the stove, whether it was arson, no one knew. But even more bizarre was the fact that when his body was discovered, or a skeleton, it was missing a head and a thorough search of the cabin failed to turn up his skull. 
Interesting. So how far an, apart were these? Uh, 1908, I believe they were, uh, the brothers were found. Yeah, 1908. And then this is 1917. So nine years later. But they probably died a little bit before then, you know, in the year prior, perhaps. Okay, right. So these are, but, but from one perspective, these these are like events happening like right on top of each other. Right, right. Okay, so there are some other mysteries that aren't necessarily um, headless deaths, but they're still noteworthy. Okay. So, and despite its name, it's not only men who've met their doom in the valley. In 1926, a woman named Anne Lafert wandered away from a hunting party she'd been traveling with and disappeared into the wilderness. And you'd think that she'd meet a pretty quick end in such unforgiving terrain and with the weather. But months later, she was spotted nearly naked and climbing a hill in the area. And the person who spotted her was convinced she was possessed by an evil spirit based on just her appearance and you know the way that she was speaking like talking to herself and he refused to follow after her so it's pretty pretty creepy story yeah yeah and then in 1936 a man named bill appear and his partner joe mulholland disappeared on the nahani river and one of their fellow partners spent years searching for them but their bodies never turned up and the only trace of them that was ever found was at their cabin um, had been burned to the ground mysteriously. Oh, in wow. okay. Yeah, and then in 1945, a miner from Ontario went missing in the Nahani Valley, and his corpse was eventually found still in his sleeping bag, headless. So again, the skull was nowhere to be found. Jesus, okay. <laughs> and around that time, the body of a trapper named John O'Brien was discovered in the Nahani wilderness. And although he hadn't been decapitated, the death appeared to be mysterious. Um, because his hands were holding a pack of matches, and he looked as though he'd frozen to death instantly. And yet, the campfire pit near him showed signs of a recent fire. So he'd been able to light a fire, and just everything looked very strange, the circumstances around his death. Um in 1946, a geologist and mining expert named Frank M.W. Henderson returned from the Nahani Valley, and he reported that his partner, Jack Patterson, had gone missing. So Henderson and Patterson had arrived to meet at a location called Virginia Falls. I think that might be where that huge um, waterfall is. And they agreed that the first to arrive would carve a message on a large tree that they were both familiar with from past trips to the area. Henderson arrived first with his party, and because there was no message on the tree from Patterson, he left his message, figured Patterson hadn't arrived yet, and just continued his journey into the valley. Several weeks went by, and there was still no sign of Patterson. So Henderson returned to the site of the tree. There was no message. Patterson had never arrived, and he and his party camped there for a while, for maybe a few days longer, probably deciding to wait for his friend to see if he'd show up. Um, but one night, they were awakened by a group of First Nations people who told them that there were, quote, white figures moving along the valley. And this one reminds me of our Nightcrawlers episode. 
Oh, the, like, just, the like these legs, white the legs. figures oh, yeah, moving, yeah, yeah. yeah in yeah, the yeah. valley. Yeah, the, the pants, the moving pants. If you guys haven't listened to it, you should go do it. Um, but obviously, you know, this was like, certainly frightening, especially, you know, in the middle of the night to get this news. So Henderson and his men packed up and left and never returned to the valley. And there was no sign of Patterson. No one knew what happened to him. Then in 1962, uh, the pilot of a small aircraft was flying over the Nahani Valley when his plane crashed. So he miraculously survived the event without any injury and set up camp near the place where his plane went down. And he had a stash of food, provisions, plenty of fuel. He was well-equipped to survive in the wilderness, and he did. And he kept notes of his experiences in a diary describing his day-to-day survival, what he was doing. He described seeing planes searching for him, circling overhead. He kept the log for 50 days, and then one day, his entries just stopped. And then six months later, the crash site in his camp and his diary were found, but there was no sign of the pilot or any clue of what had happened to him. It it was as though he had just vanished. And you would think if he had gone to explore a different route, he would have taken his diary and certainly some of his provisions with him. So that one is is pretty mysterious as well. And then... (laughs) Um, In 1964, a man named John Baptist saw a creature that perhaps resembled what has been described in the Diné legends. It was a large humanoid being with a long black beard and wearing what looked like moose skin around his waist. He was also holding a large stone club and growled at Baptist before running off, almost like a Sasquatch. Awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 So by 1969, 44 people were reported to have vanished in the Nahani Valley. So who knows what else is going on in here? Um, and I, I think I, you know, I mentioned earlier that there are a number of sinister sounding names given to other places in, within this region. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in addition to the Valley of Headless Men, we have Dead Man Valley, Headless Creek, where the two bodies were found, Headless Range, and the Funeral Range. Wow, so, okay. Yeah, it doesn't make it <laughs> sound like a nice... Lots of bad stuff happened. <laughs> yeah, lots of bad stuff clearly has happened here. So then, this is a more recent one. On June 12, 2005, two friends named David Hor- Horsey and Frederick, Frederick Hardesty went to stay at their good friend Rod Gunderson's cabin in the area. So they were planning to set in out the for valley. A, in the valley. Yeah. There's kind they of were, happens out there. What the fuck? Well, <laughs> or in on? the nearby area. So okay. they were planning on going for a hunting trip in the Nahani okay. national park area. I'm assuming it's, you know, bordering it or maybe okay. in the valley, but it was in the region. So Rod greeted them and both David and Frederick seemed to be in good spirits and perfectly healthy. And they were looking forward to their hunting trip. Both men were experienced outdoorsmen. So, No one had thought anything of this trip. It wasn't anything concerning that they would be doing this. They'd done this before. Um, They were, I think, you know, in their early 60s, late 50s. Um, Rod left them at his cabin, and then he returned four days later. But both David and Frederick were gone. There was no sign of them anywhere. But strangely, their guns were still in the cabin, 
There was plenty of food there. And so there was no immediate reason why they had left. So it's not like they, they went to get more provisions or anything like that. And if they had, why wouldn't they have taken their guns with the, these grizzly bears in the area? So Rod reported the missing and an official search of the area commenced and turned up nothing. So it was ended by officials a week later. They just gave up and they're like, we're out, we're done. But friends and family members of David and Frederick refused to give up and they continued searching the area. And so on June 27th, about two weeks after their arrival at the cabin, David's body was discovered in thick bush about 2.3 miles away from the cabin. Members of the search team reported that he had strange burns on his arms and hands, but there was no discernible reason for the burns. It didn't make any sense. And Frederick was still missing, so the search continued for him. And then on July 8th, a search team found his body floating in the Nahani River about 12.5 miles from the cabin. And this was an area that had been extensively searched before without turning up anything. So it was very strange that it was found here. Yeah. And then official autopsy reports stated that David had died of hypothermia and Frederick had drowned. But again, it's all incredibly strange. Both men had been such experienced hunters and outdoorsmen. Why had they left the cabin without firearms or supplies? Why had they separated from each other? What had happened with these strange burns on the one man's hands and arms? Aliens. Well, I'm sure yeah, a lot of people agree with I'm you. So according to strangeoutdoors.com, David's stepbrother, Joseph Horace, said, quote, that he was part of the search party for the two men and, quote, there were bullet shots all over the place and there was a gunshot in the floor. Oh. The the picture is bigger than just two guys, one who died of hypothermia and the other two who died of drowning. There was something else that happened before all that came down. After the bodies were found, Horace said he asked the RCMP again if they would be investigating. So these are the officials. And they said they would not because all the evidence had been contaminated by the search party. And then um, Robert Hardesty, Frederick's brother, said his family wasn't satisfied with the official handling of the case either. He said, quote, there's too much evidence they didn't look at that we found. Adding that they found his brother's shirt with a big hole in it like a shotgun blast. So Whoa, okay. it's, it's mysterious. It's mysterious what, what happened to those two. Yeah, for sure. I mean... You know, I feel like whenever I mean, it definitely has that the, like like a lot of like four one one feelings to it, but it also has like sure. you know like dogman encounters, like these encounters like the Kellysville where people are just like firing at, you know all around them, just trying to like firing at something that that never seems to materialize, and and you know I just I think it's interesting stuff like this because. On the one hand, it's like, you know, uh, pe pe people of a certain mindset like us are like, you know, like right. oh, it's got to be like Bigfoot or something, you know. But then the opposite mindset is like, um, oh, well, we don't know, like kind of like who cares, right? Like right. 
Well, who knows what happened? But there's there's something that happens to people in the wilderness. We don't right. know what, but what weird things happen. People maybe go crazy. You know, like just, we've heard a little they, bit about the. They were all, It was only four days, though. No, I know? know, but I'm just saying, like, you know these these events where people like they do weird, unpredictable things when they get out there for what some reason that we just don't know, right? Well, and it could be, yeah. To me, it kind of looks like something terrified them. Yeah, yeah. Because they left the cabin and headed in different directions. They separated from each other. They weren't together. Right. They were Their bodies were something found was... miles apart, and they didn't take their weapons with them. Yeah. Why would you do that? Right. They were, like, freaked out, disoriented. And it wasn't something. like one man went out and the other went looking for him. They would have been, you know, if they had died of exposure or something like that, it 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 wouldn't have played out this way. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, this this one was obviously much more recent. But, you know, the other ones, just thinking back to, to some of the original ones, like, you know, one thought is this tribe, you know, just basically – went underground right like you know or or decided to you know be hidden and so was trying to scare away these people that they thought were you know if people found gold out there you know that would just there would be industry out there right that they you know we've seen that a million times in north america so maybe they were being terrorized by by human beings but then this one's obviously much more So you're talking recent. about that lost tribe, the lost nine. Yeah, yeah, the lost tribe. Perhaps like, they're not lost after all. Maybe they're, they're not. still there. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, you know, when the, the whole, like, question of Bigfoot comes up, people are like, oh, how could something exist out in the wilderness that we don't know about, right? Like, mm -hmm. and, like, people do all the time, right? People, I'm just, actually, I'm just reading about, um, what's his name? Uh, Hiro um, Onoda, uh, the, the Japanese... Um, a soldier who's like camped out in, in that, um, you know, that island in the Philippines for like 30 years. Like he, he thought the war was still going on and, and he stayed there for 30 years in the My Philippines God. and like living off the land because he didn't. And he, when they finally found him, it was because he found he approached the person looking for him 30 years. This guy. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. So somebody intelligent who doesn't want to be found doesn't have to be found right mm -hmm. this is like an island right not mm -hmm. some giant grand wilderness uh uh like we find in north america and so the idea that human being or otherwise something intelligent in the forest that doesn't want to be found doesn't have to be found right mm -hmm. like it's and according early. to legend has access to weapons of some kind yeah yeah advanced. weapons and yeah ripping heads off <laughs> whatever you know like that's like something's doing that. You can't just do that with your bare hands unless you're, uh, I guess maybe Bigfoot's can't, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> that's pretty mighty. Right. So I don't know, just the idea that like, Oh, nothing, you know, we can't explain couldn't possibly be hiding out there. It's like for sure something could. And especially a people who are used to living off the land, used to living, not leaving a trace, whether it's some lost tribe or, or some other, intelligent being that doesn't want to be found it's certainly possible and you know based on all those sort of myths and things that weird shit that happen out there like from my perspective kind of probable right mm -hmm. like something's mm -hmm. out there um anyways i mean so i think like the first ones did sound like something was intentionally terrorizing these people right like mm -hmm. 
ripping heads off sounds like some you're trying to scare scare people right. away like a warning a warning or or you know i mean in in some cases you know, it could be something like a trophy or like a but yeah, still that, yeah i yeah, think it, could it be is ritualistic a, or yeah a marker of you know people yeah uh in battles take you know pieces of human beings all the time i mean it's mm-hmm. throughout history that's been a thing right, right? so that's yeah. certainly not that weird it's weird to us because it's out of context but if maybe if we knew the context it wouldn't be as weird but right, we'll just watch definitely still spooky <laughs> so i've got one more though okay yeah, let's do it, let's do it. and this one's from reddit and uh, this is from gs kitty 3021 who says i actually come from the northern yukon territory in canada and i've been hunting through the nahani range i'm also first nations not from that area but basically a neighbor tribe When I was a kid, I was told that long ago, two tribes were fighting over who owned the land. One group of warriors took off through the valley, and the other tribe followed, thinking they could catch up and kill the small group of warriors they caught invading. When they came to the narrow part of the valley, a large group of more warriors were waiting and ambushed the men following. Having them basically rounded up like animals, they were all beheaded, and their heads stuck on spears left in the valley. Soon after, the tribe of warriors moved in and took over the land. Not shortly after, men, women, and children started to vanish or were found decapitated. And so that tribe fled in fear. Since then, white people have come up from all over North America to venture in and never be seen again, much like the Yukon in Alaska. It's a beautiful country, but also a very mean, cold place if you aren't used to it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah. So yeah. Um, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, what do you think? What do you think was going on? Well, let's just go through the skeptical argument. Okay. So, of okay. course, they point to the unforgiving terrain, exposure, falls, vicious natural predators in the area, the ruthless ruthlessness of greedy prospectors during the gold rush, or even now, you know, that don't want people to find stashes of gold. Um, but of course there are a lot of people who, you know, their minds are a little more open than that and speculate about evil spirits or a portal to another world, aliens, cryptids, different, like you were saying, creatures or humanoid beings. Um, and some people, I mean, still believe that despite Northern Canada's ruthlessly freezing winters, that there might be some truth to this idea of a lost tropical land somewhere within the valley where you might find these prehistoric mammals like mastodons, dire wolves, or bear dogs, which is one of my yes. favorite. It's like a bear, bear dog dogs. said to yeah. said to roam the area. Um, but I don't know, man. What do you think? What's your what's your take on all this? Well, I mean, first of all, like I'm just like I'm just obsessed with this idea of like this haunted place, right? Mm-hmm. Like this idea of some type of spirit or malignant or otherwise, some type of energy hanging out in this sort of desolate place. I just find so sort of like creepy and kind of inspiring, <laughs> kind of like cap compelling, sort of captivating, right? Like I don't know. I feel like I've spent I've spent time on um, Google Maps, like on the satellites or something, just like looking around these like crazy valleys in like Greenland, you know, where it's just like these like desolate places. What are you right? hoping like, you're going to find? 
Well, I don't know. Just like, I don't know. They're just like cool looking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, no, I don't think I'm like going to find anything necessarily. But I, I'm almost like think they're interesting because I, I don't An think I am going to find anything. A portal to well, that underground too, that too, but. city. Yeah. Or dimension. No, but the the very fact that there aren't human beings there, it, there's something interesting about that. There's these like private places mm-hmm. in still in the world where nature rules and are maybe inhabited by something else, right? And right. like you know, uh there's I was also thinking about that um the the suicide forest in uh, in Japan where you know people say you know, there's like this energy there, mm-hmm. right? And like, mm-hmm. if you go there, there's no like animals. It's like uh, the, no animal sounds, right? It's just quiet. And I've heard that also connected with like some like Bigfoot places too, where it's like there's something that like there's an energy that hangs about in a way that uh, um, is associated with all these weird, you know, um, deaths and disappearances and things like that and they say that like yeah like there's all these like signs up outside of the the suicide forest like don't <laughs> don't do it you know because they know it's like not only is it a magnet but that it also has a weird fucking energy to it mm-hmm. and so the idea that there's this place like you know where all this like bizarre strange stuff has happened you know it, it is interesting and and I think possible right I think it's possible I mean, beyond the myths that we tell, and, and, and maybe those myths are somehow inexorably bound to the, the place itself, you know? But, I mean, I feel like when you look, though, at, like, you know, those 411 maps and all that out west, like, there's so many disappearances out in the wilderness, especially, like, Pacific Northwest and, and things like that that don't get a lot of storytelling about it, right? Yet they're actually happening, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, like... Mm-hmm counting up like how many people you know died in this area and comparing it in in weird or or creepy ways and comparing it to sort of any other giant track of land in North America I'd be curious about that right like I'd wonder if it's really that many more it could be less right but we had sort of attached these stories to it and that that somehow colors our perception of it but still I still feel like there's there's something about you know, the human experience that, you know, it's not all just make-believe stuff, right? Like, it's not all just that, right? Like, there is something that we can perceive and and experience and recognize mm-hmm. out in the wilderness, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think anybody's been in, like, some great wilderness, like, that you get, a, or, like, or, or special wilderness places like Joshua Tree or something where you're just, like, something else is going on here, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what it is, but there's something else going on. And so, you know, the fact that there is this sort of air hang of that hanging over this valley, in addition to these weird occurrences, it just makes you wonder, you know, about 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 things still to be understood about the wilderness, I guess. Right, right. And what are the odds though of these headless bodies being found? you know, years, decades apart and it, it yeah. all in the same area. Well, yeah, like I said, the first one was like, okay, that could be a tribe, right? Especially back then there was probably, you know, there's, you know, there's certainly, that's certainly plausible later. It seems sort of less, but then it's like, are they copycats right? or, or who knows? But, you know, I don't know. I feel like 
you could you could just as easily dismiss it as you could say, well, wait a second, maybe there is something to this, right? Like, why? Yeah, why is that? Like, you know, does that happen to other places? You brought <laughs> up aliens. Well, just because of the burns, right? Like the radiation right. burn thing that is, is like a, like a you know abduction sort of thing, but. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought about immediately sort of thought about like some of those dogmen encounters and also the Kellysville, uh, you know, where it's just like people in a remote place, the goblins, the goblins. Yeah. Where it's just like all of a sudden something's walking up to your cabin or your, or your camp or whatever. And you just start losing your shit. Right. Right. Like, because these guys, it wouldn't have been, I'm assuming a grizzly bear wouldn't have done that. A wolf wouldn't have done that. To them, well, wouldn't have shaken knows? them that badly. I, mean, I don't know. I feel like sometimes we put too much trust in people who are, you know, uh, a, a more attuned with the wilderness that they can't get freaked out. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. I feel like you definitely could, but but that it made them act that sort of strangely, right? Makes you think that there is certainly way more to this story, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. just this, like, you know, these experiences people have in these sort of Bigfoot countries where they feel like something's watching them, something's stalking them. Do you know what I mean? And so they mm-hmm. start behaving oddly in relation to that. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss with this one. Yeah. But I'll tell Dude, you what, like, I would be afraid. I'd, I'd, I I'd love to there. see it. I would go yeah. there, but I would want to definitely be with a guide, and I'd, eh, I'd be pretty scared. Yeah, totally. I mean, I guess I would, like, I don't know. If I felt like I could get, like, get in, get out, <laughs> you know? But, but I think that, like, some of these stories, no matter what's happening here, whether it's paranormal or otherwise, it definitely speaks to the fact that, like, you know, even in the sort of civilized you know, era of, of, uh, you know, human history that shit can still go sideways real fast, you know, when you're really confronted with the natural world, right? Like it's very easy to forget in our, you know, you know, homes with electricity and all this and cities and, you know, even in the country, like, you know, people live pretty comfortably in comparison to what they used to. And so once you really get out in, in the, in the wilderness, like, you understand that there's forces, there's things that, you know, uh, can make you feel small pretty quickly, make right. you feel out of control pretty quickly, and that you uh, really don't <clears throat> understand, you know, everything there is to. Right. And I feel like also, you know, in this era of Instagram, <laughs> mm-hmm. that the the beauty of nature can be beguiling to people. Yeah. And they don't the danger, you know, sort of hidden from them in that respect can tend to idealize or romanticize these landscapes without realizing that it's fraught with all manner of dangers at every turn. Yeah, totally. We're not aware of. Totally. And it's like, it's one thing to be this like weekend wilderness expert. (laughs) Like, and it's another thing for people who actually really live out there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there are people that 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 do it. And so like, you know, we put a lot of stock in these like wilderness experts who, you know, may, you know, maybe aren't as much as as they think or we think, right? Like unless you've come from a 
you know, tribe that has been living on the wilderness for many generations, you don't really have that generational knowledge. You don't really have that like, oh, I've lived in the bush for 40 years knowledge, right? There's a different, like, I'm sure there's people out there like that, but I think that, you know, you know, when you have these sort of modern uh, um, conveniences that you bring out there, these high tech equipment and, you know, you always know you can get out of the forest, you know, there's always a, a warm home to go back to eventually, right? It's a different story. It's a different type of, you know, skill set. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know, when people are really living out there, they're living in a real harmony, right? That's like a sustainable harmony where that's why I think it is certainly possible that there would be people living out there that you know, could do it and not leave a trace, right? Because mm -hmm. they are li living in harmony in a lot of ways. And so, I don't know, I feel like some of these 411 things are very mysterious, um, you know, and I think there is something weird going on there, but some of it might just be that we put a little bit too much stock in our, like, you know, wilderness abilities in the civilized world, right? Mm -hmm. it or it's does, aliens. Or it's aliens. <laughs> or it's aliens. I don't know. I mean, yeah. But there's something, I mean, there's something, there's stuff going on out there. Like, what's going on? Like, I don't know if we'll ever know. Do you think we'll ever know? I mean, eventually, yeah. I mean, really? I think we're going to, I think we're going to be finding more and more stuff now with drones and yeah. the ability to search places that we never could before and also have evidence of it you know before it was just word of mouth and do you believe this person coming back with a story now there there's going to be more and more actual record of it yeah i mean and i, I think we are going to find some some pretty fascinating stuff that before would have just seemed too fantastical to be real uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you think eventually, like, if there is Bigfoot out there or whatever. Yeah, we'll that, find it. We'll yes. find it eventually. I think really? so, yes. Unless it's a spiritual entity, unless there's a paranormal quality to it that, um, you know, evades being witnessed. Yeah, right, right. I mean, a lot of people who have those encounters do feel, have that feeling about them. Right, that there's something, or a lot of people who have, you know, encounters with UFOs feel like it's a personal event. Mm -hmm. That it's not just like, oh, they just sort of stumbled on this thing or they happen to be seeing it, but that it's like they're being seen too. Right, like it's a almost like a dialogue or a yeah, like a right. like your the uh, episode you did on communicating, like calling in. Right, yeah, yeah, the totally. aliens. Yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know. I, 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 I think also think like mm -hmm. if you just think of it in like a, in terms of like, you know, listening to what the indigenous peoples believed about the place being almost like cursed or having like a mm -hmm. dark supernatural presence. I think it's possible that if there were, you know, these atrocities committed with beheadings, there yeah. could be a spiritual echo through the centuries of that. Yeah. Like if it attracted yeah. dark totally. or demonic entities to it. Just go with me on this, Seth. Yeah. But like, you know, it could cause sort of like echoes to repeat. Yeah, right. What, 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 did we talk about it on here that places like places where people drown tend to 
cause more drownings or tend to then no. have more subsequent drownings or something like that? I don't like remember that. that, but I didn't know that. Oh, That's I think interesting. But there is something about that, that like when bad shit starts happening in a particular place, it tends to continue, mm-hmm. right? And whether that's like an energetic thing or a thing that like, I don't know, maybe there's a physics quality, who knows? Or or the, maybe mm-hmm. there is a supernatural quality to it all, right? Like, I mean, I think it all ought to be considered, right? So I don't know. I think there is something to the fact that, like, I think it is possible that you would have let's say let's say this wild man does exist right some type of like you know intelligent but wild um species out there uh that didn't want to be found i mean i think it's possible that we might not ever sort of as we are right like i think that we have a particular view of you know the the our world and of the universe that is like a direct correlation to who we are do you know what i'm saying and like mm-hmm. it's almost like we've lost like you know time travel back a few hundred years ago and you know talk to you know maybe uh, a native american about whether or not you know <laughs> exists right to them there would be no like oh you know, uh, oh, could that possibly happen? You know, <laughs> like it, it, it would just be part of their world, part of their worldview and not, not out of the realm of possibilities. But for us, like we have a particularly sort of narrow view of things like that. And so then we don't see them. It's like, we're, how could we see something we're already sort of blind to, right? Like all these like Hubble telescope images around not the Hubble what's the new one what's the ones that are all like flying around right now oh yeah like we look at those photos and we go yeah we're just all alone here (laughs) yeah we're the most intelligent thing you know it's fucking crazy dude like you know we see we see the the world around us in the universe we live in like based on what we want it to be essentially right and 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 so the modern world is kind of you know set up that way Yeah, it's the it's the James Webb Space Telescope. James Webb, right, right. Which is super exciting. Can't wait to see what else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beams back. Totally. Yeah. Well. Cool. I think we did it. I think so too. <laughs> we did the Valley of Headless Men. Yeah. So, what do you guys think? Love to hear what you think. You yeah. can send us a DM on Instagram. Follow us, please. Um, you can email us at chatelinepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Cur- really curious to know. Because I think this could go any number of ways. Yeah, and if you've, uh, you know, traveled to any haunted valleys or met any Bigfoots or anything like that, we'd definitely love to hear. Yeah, send us your stories. And we're going to be coming out really soon with a campfire story edition. Oh, yes, yes. We're doing another one of those. So, yeah. and we are going to have a special guest as well. Yeah. So please send us your stories, send us any topics you want us to cover. Thank you to the listener who suggested this one today. And also please leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. It helps us grow the show and uh, we definitely read those and take them to heart and we love you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay then. 
All right. I guess until next time. Until next time. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right, bye. Shadowland Podcast is produced by Seth Javlin and Christina Callard. Edited by Tim Kelly. Theme music by Tim Lincoln. Thanks, Tim. So what do you think happened? Do you really think it's, do you think it's aliens possibly? No, I think it's like fucking Bigfoot, dude. You think it's really Bigfoot? (laughs) Yeah.